Hey everyone, how's it going? I got my second shot on May 4th last week. And apart from being super, super tired and out of it, I was fine. No flu-like symptoms or body aches or anything like that. So don't hesitate. Don't let those symptoms scare you into not getting it. I encourage you to get it. You'll feel so much better. You'll feel like you can kind of exhale and get your life back on track and back to normal. And I think with your little vaccine card, you'll be able to do some things like travel and maybe go see some concerts, maybe go, I don't know, to sporting venues, who knows. But um, I encourage you to scan your vaccine card in case you lose it. Um, and I think they said don't laminate it because you might need boosters in the future. So just keep it safe, uh, scan it if you need to, and um, yeah, take care of yourself. So one of the ways we can get back to normal is going out and seeing movies again. And I wanted to highlight the Center for Asian American Media. Their CAMFest starts May 13th. It's going to be virtual for the most part this year. So the whole country and even the world can participate and watch these awesome films and support our Asian filmmakers. And also, if you are in the Bay Area, they are going to have a, a drive-in event. So just check out the website in the show notes and mark your calendars. So with that, today on Asian Fail with me, Angie Sue, I'm going to be speaking with Masashi Niwano who is the festival exhibition director for CAMFest. So today's guest is Masashi Niwano. He is the festival exhibition director at the Center for Asian American Media. And we're going to talk about the history of CAM and this year's CAM Fest. Good morning, Masashi. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about the history of CAM and how it started? Sure, yeah. Um, well, we started 40 years ago, um, actually in Berkeley at a conference um, at UC Berkeley. And it was a mixture of different types of community people. We had community leaders coming together with people who are working within the government, and then also filmmakers, journalists, who all at the time were talking about Asian American representation. How are we being perceived in media? And so collectively, we started this organization. Um, and each one of those pieces really do align still with what our mission is as an organization. We started out as NATA, which was the National Asian American Telecommunication Association. Mm -hmm. We don't use terms like telecommunication anymore. So uh, about 15 years ago, we shifted to CAM, the Center for Asian American Media. But, you know, our mission as an organization is to showcase and celebrate Asian American stories to the broadest audience possible. And the decades of all that groundwork and the planting of seeds of all these filmmakers has really come to fruition this year with the past Oscars and Chloe Zhao winning for Best Director 
and Yu Jung Yoon winning for Best Supporting Actress. And it seems like we're really hitting our stride as artists and creators. But at the same time, this increased wave of anti-Asian hate and discrimination is really taking center stage. One of the unique things, and you know, this is not to cast any kind of negative blanket on anything happening at the Oscars, but when you look at the films that are um, kind of breaking through, it's mostly East Asian films, right? These are Chinese Americans, Korean Americans. There's so many other within the, and as you know, there's such a tapestry of Asian American communities, Southeast Asians, South Asians. There's still a lot more we can do. And I do think this is probably the beginning that we'll see a lot more in the future. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think representation is really the only reason why these um, hate crimes have happened. I think it's a part of it. I think that it's easy to attack another community when you're only when your core knowledge of them are based in stereotypes and those stereotypes being quite negative, right? These stereotypes of Asian Americans of being othered, right? Um, having some kind of ulterior motive for being an American, not being Americans, um, doing, you know, so many of these stereotypes are based in doing harm to the mainstream or outside community. So um, when you see that, and then when you have political leaders echoing that, championing that, pushing that, mm -hmm. it, it, it makes for a, a perfect storm of really dangerous um, society. Yeah, I agree. I the the scapegoating can't be ignored, <laughs> especially when you look at um, documentaries like the Asian Americans and just how just historically it's kind of like this cycle that keeps repeating itself. It's almost like once people get used to Asian Americans being here, there's maybe an economic downturn, and then there's always a reason to scapegoat and to target a certain group of people as being the, the source of your problems. And now I think because media and social media is so much more accessible to just the everyday person, filmmakers, even amateur filmmakers, have all these new tools to really combat and push back on the misinformation and the hate that they're seeing right now. And CAM has so many wonderful programs to get people started. You have a fellowship and you have um, funding for documentaries. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, definitely. So at CAM, um, you know, we call ourselves the Center for Asian American Media, and that is our goal is to be a one-stop shop um, wherever you are as far as a filmmaker goes we hope we can have something that will connect with you so for like if you're just emerging um, as a filmmaker if you're really curious about that we have many fellowships right now actually we have three fellowships they all have different goals in them but a, the you know the connecting goal is to support filmmakers who are just starting on their career for all of those, we connect them with a mentor that they have requested. Um, so we have some great, you know, established narrative filmmakers, documentary filmmakers, producers, writers, who we connect with them to help them on their path. Um, we also have an educational distribution side of CAM. So for colleges all around the world, universities, we have hundreds of Asian American content from the decades, from the beginning to now for 40 years of content available there. So it's a really great archive of Asian American work. 
we have our festival. You know, for the fellowships, um, it kind of breaks into different components. But, you know, for us, our fellowships are a way of um, kind of cultivating the next generation of filmmakers and, and who are they and who's not being supported right now. So, yes, if you're Asian American, we recommend you go to our website. And that's the starting point, potentially. The other ones are if you're um, in the South, right? If you're not in a coastal city or, you know, West Coast, East Coast, but you're based in the South, we are looking to support more filmmakers and to showcase more films from the South. So we have two initiatives right now. Um, one is called The Sauce, which is supporting Asian American filmmakers in the South. The other one is our Hindsight Initiative that we, in partnership with Firelight Media, Real South, supports uh, a more diverse BIPOC community of filmmakers from the South as well. So um, half of those filmmakers are Asian Americans, but working in a team of other communities of color telling stories. Because, you know, for us, it's really important that we don't stay in a silo of this is our story within the bubble of Asian Americans, but a broader kind of context. Right. Because, you know, we are part of this society and it's just how we are living and moving through the world here and all the stories that surround us. So this year's CamFest is virtual for the most part. Can you tell people how they can participate? Yes, thank you. Yeah, CamFest.com is our website. Uh, that's C-A-A-M-F-E-S-T. We wanted a festival that could be as inclusive and open as possible. So yes, a majority of our festival is virtual. Most of our programs are not geo-blocked, which means wherever you are in the U.S. or internationally, you can watch a majority, I would say 90% of our program. It's also important for us that finances is not a limitation. So we have over a dozen programs that are free. All you need to do is go to our website and RSVP, and then you'll get a link to watch it. Um, we have some really great things in there from world premieres of films to a conversation with cultural icon Margaret Cho, all for free on our website during our festival. You know, virtual is also currently, at, especially here, well, here in the Bay Area is also, you know, it's a safety thing. We want to make sure that our audiences don't have to worry about their own kind of you know, safety since we're still in the pandemic. We will have three days at the drive-in in San Francisco at Fort Mason Center. We're really excited about that. It is important, you know, myself who runs film festivals, I know there's nothing different. There's no replacement for people connecting in person, um, watching films together. So I'm really excited about that. Um, but yes, we hope, you know, I've been, this is our third virtual festival now. And there are benefits um, when we do Q&A with filmmakers and we have people from other countries, other states, asking questions, talking to each other. There is something really special about that. So we're excited. Um, this is our biggest, most ambitious virtual festival. We have over 100 films um, over 11 days. We have 40 unique programs. So, yeah, we hope people will come out. It's going to be a, a real fun time. Yeah, there's these pluses and minuses to the virtual festival, right? Because it's, of course, more fun to do things in person and to mingle and to do the um, to listen to the filmmakers and their panels after the films. But it's just so much more accessible and convenient. And because it's convenient, there more people can participate. And then, yeah, people who maybe normally wouldn't go to a festival are suddenly able to just because the access is so much easier. That's for this year, but for the future, 
say you're in film school right now and you want to make a doc or you want to make a narrative film, what would one need to do to get ready to enter a cam fest? Well, if you are in film school, like I was when I got my film degree, um, uh-huh. <laughs> and I still do, you know, campus talks and such. I do think one of the most important things, not just for campus, I think just to be a successful filmmaker is a, you have to be ready for the hustle. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. I mean, being a person of color, being a woman filmmaker, all of those things, LGBTQ filmmaker, there will be added hurdles, but whoever you are being an artist is a, is a hustle. So making sure that you are ready for that kind of life. Uh, I have many friends who are artists, filmmakers, and they love that. They love the the kind of uh, strategizing on how to get their art into the world. So uh, for myself, I decided working at CAM was kind of fit my uh, lifestyle a little bit more. But I will say that after that, part of that hustle is knowing who are the resources, who are the organizations who are supporting you and the stories you want to tell, especially if you're coming from a community um, of color or uh, LGBTQ, woman filmmaker, there are organizations. And working at CAM for, this is my 11th festival, I now know so many organizations who are out there committed to making sure that your films can be funded. So I tell students, start to create your own kind of research journal or document, share with your friends, your co-filmmakers. There are so many organizations like am, right? We're here, we fund filmmakers, we have fellowships. Um, our core goal year round is to make sure that Asian American filmmakers, that we have a next generation of Asian American mm-hmm. storytellers. So why not reach out to us? You know, we are here. Um, and then similarly, depending on where you are based, if you're based in LA, there's visual communications. And again, there are so many artists who are not just in one bubble. They're part of various communities. If you're a female filmmaker, there are so many organizations out there that I can you know, recommend. So I, I say not only festivals, but also think of funders, think of distributors, think of the organizations and a good chunk of our filmmakers. And I, this is not a, um, like a, a dig at all, but I think so many filmmakers are reaching for the, the big things, right? The, I want my film at Sundance and then I want to have a film by A24, produce it in the next year. It's probably right. going to be hard to do. Um, and so I, I don't tell people not to dream, please dream, do that. But also think about the organizations who are there also, um, who can also help you on your way up. You know, a film like Minari, um, mm-hmm. Lee Isaac Chung, the director, we played his first film at our festival. We had him at our fest. You know, he didn't just start with A24, right? He His uh, previous film was 10 years ago. So every filmmaker has a journey. And I think making sure that you connect with different organizations who are there to support you is really important because at times, I know this, you can feel alone when you're making a film. You know, I don't have a producer right now. How am I going to raise all this money? There are organizations out there who are ready to go to help you out. So um, do research, check in with your colleagues, check in with your professors, see what they know. You know, I knew about CAM because one of my amazing professors, Anita Chang, um, recommended I intern at CAM. And then I interned at CAM for three years. <laughs> I created my own internship to stay right. at CAM because they were kicking me out. Like year, See, year you're good long. at the hustle. I'm telling you. Well, and there was, 
it's funny because when I was when I first started at CAM, I was an archival intern, which meant I was in a basement with all of these VHS tapes. I am aging myself, and all these physical press kits that film you know films used to send press kits to festivals. These are big paper like poster sized um, packages of all of their content. So my job was to archive thousands of press kits, VHS tapes. Through that process, I learned so much about Asian American media. I thought naively when I was in film school, I would be the first Asian American filmmaker telling Asian American stories. <laughs> and for me personally, you know, the convergence of Asian American and LGBTQ stories, and that will be my legacy. And then going through all these press kits, I was like, oh, there's been decades of these films being made and so many things that really need to be seen more. So mm -hmm. in my brain, even in college, I knew if I could help in any way present other people's films or to you know, educate people on this archive of films, that's where my um, energy should go to. Yeah, I think that's fantastic because you always do want to go back in time and see what came before you as a filmmaker. Because like you said, you're going to be like, oh, I'm, this, I'm the first person who did this. And then you're like, no, someone did this like 40 years ago. <laughs> And I do, and I do want to let filmmakers know that's not a bad thing, right? To mm -hmm. know someone has done something that you have done before, it's a, it's a, it's a map. It's like then learn how they did it, who funded that film, um, what festivals uh, might have screened that film. There's a lot out there. Um, also, you know, we do have filmmakers who reach out to us regularly, say, "This is my story. Do you know any? Have you heard anything like it?" And I can definitely say, like, "Oh, you should check out this film. It sounds like that." Again. Not saying you shouldn't make that film, but it gives you a little bit of context what's in the world. You know, I always, well, I don't want to say I, I pick on, but I, 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 I do know a lot of Asian Americans who are perfectionists. Mm -hmm. And you made the point of saying, you know, a lot of them just think, okay, yeah, I'm going to do, I'm going to be the next Spielberg, right? Or I'm going to be the next Quentin Tarantino. And for me, I, I just want to encourage people to baby steps just to start small because the technology is such that you can shoot short films on your phone, edit them on your phone, just practice and exercise your storytelling abilities, starting small, entering your shorts in these festivals. And that is a great way to get your name out there. Like you said, start that hustle, get some word of mouth going on about you as being an up and coming filmmaker to really encourage people to take chances in maybe a smaller format. Festivals are a great way to do that, you know, to meet people and like you said, to locate different funding sources and just experiment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, especially if you start out with short films, I think that is an opportunity to have your voice be heard. I think no matter... For me, as someone who um, curates our festival every year, but also looks at films year-round, it really, for me, is not a matter of budget, of production. It's your voice. It's like, what do you want to say? You know, mm -hmm. this year at our festival, we have so many films that I think they spent maybe $10 to $100 to make, you know, but these are personal stories that they told about the pandemic. And you know, what it was like in their house and in their situation or their, you know, family business. And there are, 
for me, that is the most important thing for an emerging filmmaker is truly know what is it that you want to say. If you don't know what you want to say, work on that, right? Like start thinking mm -hmm. about it. Think about, you know, um, filmmaking can be costly, you know, at times I, I imagine you're going to pull money out of your own bank account. So it should be some, a story or a project that you feel quite passionate about. So what is that passion? And as long as that's there, I think, yeah, I would agree. Don't be a perfectionist. Don't think your first film needs to be the perfect film. That never happens. And there is a hustle. For every filmmaker that I think of right now as being that filmmaker that everyone wants to be or is maybe a role model to them, you know, they've had decades of work that they have done. Examples, Aquafina. She is lovely. I love working with Aquafina. She's been to our festival a few times. She's performed at our music concert twice. I knew her 10, 15 years ago. And so if you know her now, that meant she had a decade of hustling. That's making music, um, working on films. Um, Sandra Oh, we played films that she was in 20, 30 years ago. Indie films, student films. She was in a lot of student films, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you never know, especially as an artist, what's going to click. And sometimes you need to take risks to know what your own boundaries are. Um, I know this. Like I know when I was making films, I stuck for the most part in drama because I was too worried about being too silly or doing something that would, I don't know, uh, embarrass myself or my family, whatever that was. And I regret that. I think the more you can be bold, again, it's not a reflection of you as a storyteller, you know, in entirety it's where you're at at this moment um and we know during the pandemic that telling stories has gotten us all through um, the pandemic whether it's watching films at home watching youtube all of that so there is a lot of need for content out there especially if it's unique for filmmakers i say that applying for a film festival applying for money it's like a job so like you know you wouldn't apply for your dream job without maybe proofreading your resume, sharing it with your friends and family and seeing what they think about it. Does it really reflect who you are? I say that with all stuff. So, you know, again, it's, it's a hustle, but it's also just being strategic and being kind of thoughtful about the art that you create. Create a family of colleagues, people that you trust their opinions. When you finish a cut of your film, share it with them first before you send it to Sundance or to CamFest. Yeah, all of that. Fantastic. Well, Masashi, thank you so much for joining me this morning. And CamFest starts May 13th. And I encourage everybody to check it out. I will have links in the show notes. Thanks again. Yeah. Can I say one thing? Sure. Well, I want to say two things. Uh, first thing is thank you so much again for having me on your podcast. This has been fun. Um, secondly, um, if you are an aspiring filmmaker at CamFest every year, we have a lot of industry programs. All the stuff that I'm talking about are fellowships, ways we fund filmmakers. All of that is part of CamFest. In a, quote, normal year, that is in person um, at our festival. But because we're all virtual, we have uh, about seven to eight different free industry programs um, during CamFest uh, starting next week. So I recommend if you are an aspiring filmmaker, um, come to our summit 
you'll meet a lot of other filmmakers, a lot of really important people um, who are working in documentaries and narratives and all of that. So um, a special plug, just go to our website, uh, search Summit, and you will find a lot of different programs. Thank you so much for all that information. I am so excited to check out all the films this year and all the panels that you discussed. Enjoy Campfest this year. Thank you so much. <laughs>